Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is from our gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 16. Here again, these two verses. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. You may be seated. I'd like to start my first sermon here as vicar at St. Lawrence Lutheran Church with a little bit of a confession. I am a competitive person. You see, I'm the type of guy who likes to win, especially when it comes to competition and games. This is the way that I was brought up. My family loves to play games, board games, card games, sports. Even today when my family gets together, my parents and my siblings and their spouses, we all like to compete. And when we do, we play to win. So when I first introduced my wife Jenny to my family, at the time she was my girlfriend, she was a little surprised at this dynamic. Now she's the type of person who isn't all that interested in keeping score. To her, it's more important to enjoy the game and enjoy the people that you're with. I never understood that. (laughs) What's the point in playing unless you can win, right? Well, what I learned from Jenny and over the years was that not everyone competes like I do and not everyone always likes to compete intensely. Jenny has taught me how to better enjoy the game even when it's not all about winning. And I can proudly say that after all these years, now I am at least 10% less competitive than I used to be. In all seriousness, though, I know I'm not alone in this. After all, we live in a world that is built upon competitiveness, a world that very clearly distinguishes what it means to be successful and what it means to be a failure. It sizes you up based on your job and your income and your house and even your family. And this distinction that exists puts pressure on us to be successful, or at least appear to be successful, so that we feel we fit in. Our society is geared towards winning at all costs, and the question we need to ask is, what does God think about success? Is his definition of success different than the world's? And by world, of course, I mean the fallen creation that has now set its ways against God. In our gospel lesson, Jesus is instructing his disciples about the truly successful life. And here's what he teaches them. With God, what the world considers failure is actually success. And what it considers success is actually failure. It seems a little backwards. And that's a hard lesson for us to learn. 
Our sinful nature pulls us to pursue worldly success at all costs. The devil uses the promise of success to draw us away from how God would have us live. The disciples, even though they lived 2,000 years ago, were falling into this temptation as well. Matthew writes, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Although Jesus has alluded to it before, this is the first time in the book of Matthew that Jesus explicitly predicts his suffering and death to his disciples. To fully understand the magnitude of this, imagine that you are one of Jesus' disciples. Imagine that you are Peter, the closest of his disciples. You have been with him since the beginning. You have heard him teach like no one else before has taught and say things that no one else would say. You have seen him do miracles that no one else could do. He is the one who even creation obeys and from whom even demons flee with just a word from his lips. He has convinced you that the kingdom of God has come and he is its king. The promised Messiah has finally come to your people and after centuries of political and religious persecution, you begin to imagine all the success that is going to come following. Then one day he gathers you and the rest of the disciples and he begins to speak to you. But something in his voice sounds different. His words are kind, yet determined. Quiet, yet forceful. He tells you how he will be going to Jerusalem, how he will hand himself over to the very people that have opposed him at every turn, and he will suffer many things at their hands. And then he tells you that he must die so that his father may raise him again to life. Your head begins to swim, your heart begins to race, and your emotions begin to well up inside of you. You cannot believe what you're hearing. One moment, the road to amazing success for you and your people looked wide and open. And the next moment, everything comes crashing down. Did Jesus really just say he was going to turn himself over to his enemies and allow himself to suffer and die? This doesn't mesh with your plans at all. And so in your confusion and emotion, you physically pull Jesus aside from the group and you yell at him, Never, Lord! This shall never happen to you. You see, even back then, people were still confusing the notion of true godly success with their own. Jesus was telling his disciples that success looks like a cross on a hill outside Jerusalem with the body of a broken Savior hanging from it. And Peter could not bear the cross that Jesus was describing because to Peter, the cross looked like failure. 
not success. Jesus describes to us the life of the cross as well. And we, in our sinful state, cannot bear it. What's our reaction? We try to change God's plans or reject them outright, and we come up with our own plans for success. We promote winning and winning at all costs, but we are duped. We begin to think that our way of living is true success, and we mix up God's success with our own. If we begin to strive for the things that this world says is success, Jesus is very clear about what will happen. We may think that we are winning, but we will end up losing our very soul in the process. Let's just say for a moment that it's possible to achieve everything there is to achieve here in this world. And let's just say that somehow we avoid everything that this world says is actually failure, such as illness or family troubles or losing a job or financial concerns, or even unexpected death. What difference does any of that worldly success have when the Son of Man returns to this world? Our standing before God is not improved, and we are still poor, miserable sinners, desperately in need of a Savior. But God, in His mercy, does not leave us there. Jesus takes what we think we know about successful living and he flips it on its head. He went to the cross and everyone told him that he would look so much more successful if he used his power to take himself off the cross. But he didn't. He stayed there. And he died. And by his death, he forgives us for all the times that we do not have in mind the things of God. He forgives us for thinking that success is somehow in our control. True success, godly success, is not based on what we do. It is based solely on what Jesus has done for us. He points us to the cross because there we are forgiven. And there we see what true love looks like. A love completely undeserved, yet given freely to you and to me. And he promises that just as he defeated death, we too will be resurrected and live with him eternally. Now to the world, the cross makes absolutely no sense. 1 Corinthians states, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is our hope, even in the face of life's fiercest storms. His victory cannot be shaken no matter what we may face. A successful life is grounded in Jesus and his work. And the amazing thing is, once we realize we contribute nothing to God's success, Jesus invites us into the life that he has won for us. He describes the life of a Christian, which is the life of of cross-bearing. Jesus says we are to take up our cross and follow him. 
I think many of us have heard that phrase before, and the temptation would be to gloss over it without thinking of its meaning. Now, some look at that, take up your cross and follow me, as if Jesus is stating to us some sort of prerequisite in to be a Christian, that only those who are super committed can actually be a true disciple. This would be a mistake. We cannot choose to follow God. Everything must begin with what God has done for us. In the gospel lesson, Jesus is instructing his disciples who are already following him. Jesus is describing to you and me who are already living in light of his forgiveness. We too are already claimed by God in our baptisms forgiven by the death of Jesus and promised new life in the resurrection, that work is complete and nothing can be added to it or taken away. But this is key, and this is the point that he's getting at with those words. The work of a Christian is still ongoing. Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him. He is telling us that the life we now lead just like his journey to the cross, is a life that is vulnerable, yet full of love. So what does this life of love look like? Well, it starts first and foremost by getting out of God's way. The life of a cross means not standing in God's way. Peter learned this lesson the hard way. He rejected the cross, and Jesus called him a stumbling block. Too often we act as stumbling blocks to God. We insist on our own ways. We pray to God, God, I would like things to be this way or that way. And we insist that our life has to go this one direction without considering what God would have for us. And then we get upset at God when he doesn't take us the way we want to go. Instead, a life of cross-bearing means getting out of God's way and letting him determine what success looks like. And so we spend time in his word, and we spend time in prayer, and in the end, we let him do what he does best. And the results end up being so much better than we could have ever imagined it. Secondly, a life under the cross looks like a life of love. This is what Paul was describing in our epistle lesson this morning. Love must be sincere, he writes. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Paul says, love your sister and love your brother and don't retaliate evil with evil. That's what the world does. Instead, overcome evil with good. In other words, don't act like a stumbling block to your neighbor either. Instead, take up your cross for their sake. I was impressed when I first came to St. Lawrence and I saw the mission statement that's printed on the back of the bulletins often and, and on the worship folders. And it's to show others by word and deed how beautiful it is to live with Jesus. The life of a Christian is beautiful. And it's beautiful because we have the opportunity to share with the world the love of God, the love that he first shared with us. When we stop looking to the world for our success and instead start looking 
to Jesus, strange things begin to happen. He takes the things that we previously knew and he transforms them. Where there was once only hate, he works forgiveness. Where there was evil, he works love. And where there was once only failure, there is now success. Instead of the cross looking like a symbol of death and defeat, it is now a sure sign of life and love and victory won for us by Jesus. This is the successful life that God gives to us, a life with Christ and Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.